0: To Bridging Chicago, a podcast that aims to connect our listeners to Chicago's business, community, cultural, and charity leaders. Brought to you by the SATC Solutions Center. You can connect with us on Instagram or Twitter where our handle is at Bridging Chicago. For more information, including our email, visit us online at satcsolutions.com. Be sure to rate and subscribe to Bridging Chicago on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this podcast.
1: Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of Bridging Chicago. I'm your host today, Savannah Roundtree, and joining me, we have Jason Coleman, the executive director and co-founder of Project Sincere. Jason, so much, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. It's a pleasure of mine to be here.
1: Great. So we're just going to go ahead and um, jump right in. Um, Just a quick note for our listeners. Um, We're Um, still recording remotely. So, you know, excuse any technical difficulties or lags we might have. Uh, You know, we're all just doing our best and uh, working through the pandemic. But let's get right in. Um, Jason, I was, uh, you know, doing a little research on your LinkedIn page earlier. And um, I saw that you went to the Whitney Young Magnet High School um, in Chicago. So are you a um, born and raised Chicago resident?
0: Yeah, Chicago is definitely home for me. Um, I did have the pleasure of attending Whitney Young um, School for for high school. Uh, But then after high school, I decided I wanted to get out of Chicago for a while. So I went to California, where I attended the University of Southern California.
1: Yeah, I saw. So Southern California is um, a big change. Were you just looking for a change of scenery or was there something in particular that drew you to um, University of Southern California?
0: You know, for me, I mean, a lot of my friends were going to like U of I or, you know, to other schools, um, you know, throughout the country. But for me, I wanted to go somewhere that was warm. Um, and also you know, I'm really attracted to big cities. And so I didn't want to go to a college where the college was like the whole focal point of the town.
1: Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to
0: another big city where, you know, besides enjoying the things that, you know, go along with going to a great university, I wanted to have, you know, also the experiences of being in a big city as well. So, you know, I took my talents from Chicago to L.A. I think it was one of the best decisions I ever made.
1: Yeah. Do you uh, ever find yourself regretting at the beginning of winter your decision to come back to <laughs> Chicago?
0: You know, I mean, not really. I mean, I really enjoy seasons. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I will say that, you know, going to college in a warm climate like California was pretty good. Like I probably would have dreaded having to go to class and march through, you know, a foot of snow. Um, so for me, you know, I'm glad to be back home to Chicago because Chicago is home. Uh, There are certain things that I miss about California.
1: Yeah, I grew up in the South, and I um, always struggle a little bit with the beginnings of winter, but I also enjoy the season, so I understand where you're coming from. Um, I see that at the University of Southern California, you received your degree in mechanical engineering. So... was. is that something you discovered in college, or did you set your sights on going into engineering um, from an early age? How did you get into that?
0: That's funny that you asked that. So, you know, growing up, I did a lot of science related things. Um, and so, I, I had a deep love and passion for all things science and let's say technology. Um, but I never really knew what an engineer was. And so, Mm -hmm. growing up, I I participated in these programs at the Museum of Science and Industry and things like that. But I don't technically recall anybody saying like, "Hey, you know, come join this engineering program or come do this engineering work." You know, I do feel that a lot of the things that I were doing at a young age were, you know, highly related to like engineering things. But Mm -hmm. nobody really was like, "Hey, Jason, you're really good at this stuff. Like, you should think about majoring in engineering." And so, when I went to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I ended up majoring in chemistry, thinking that I would one day become a pharmacist.
1: Okay. Um,
0: I know, definitely not necessary. <laughs> well,
1: it was just, yeah, that's a very different career path than mechanical engineering,
0: but... Very much so. But it was funny because like my first semester in college, you know, taking chemistry, I did pretty good in it, um, but I realized that this is not something that I would enjoy doing the rest of my life. And so... Um, I, thankfully a lot of my friends are actually studying engineering. Um, and so I would talk to them about the things that they're studying and doing. And I went to go visit a counselor, um, to help me learn more about, you know, different, um, the disciplines of engineering. And as they were talking to me and describing the different fields of engineering, you know, I, I stopped at mechanical engineering and realized that this is something that I had really been doing, you know, since I was a young kid. Um, and it's where my passion really was. And so after my first semester, I switched over to um, the School of Engineering. And I think it forever changed my life.
1: Yeah. So you, it seems like pretty early on you were able to identify um, you know, how passionate you were about this and how, fit yourself into um, finding a good career path um, that way. What was it? And is there anything in particular about mechanical engineering that really drew you towards it?
0: Yes, I mean, for me, mechanical engineering, um, you know, I think my love of like just figuring out how things work. Um, mm-hmm. Mechanical engineering is definitely a very physical aspect of, of engineering. So it's not like electrical engineering where you don't really see how the electrons are moving in the circuit or anything like mm-hmm. that. But for for me, mechanical engineering was something that, that I can design, that I can, you know, physically build. Um, I can figure out how the inner workings of it. Um, come together. Um, and this is something that I, I feel like I was doing, you know, since I was a child. Like when I was at the Museum of Science and Industry, we used to build like these hover cars or we used to build like different robots. Um, and even at home, like me and my friends would build and design like and put together our own remote control cars. And so I loved how motors worked. I loved, you know, being able to design things and actually create them. Um, and I love being able to physically take things apart and either put them back together or optimize their designs to make them better. And so, um, you know, mechanical engineering to me just combined all of my passions and interest. And when I say it was like love at first sight, it was truly love at first sight.
1: Yeah. Just like that hands-on aspect. And I think I saw a quote on the Project Sincere website earlier when I was looking around that said that engineering was sort of the crossroads between, um, like imagination and technology. And I think that's really coming through in how you're talking about um, your work in mechanical engineering. Uh, And then um, looking on your LinkedIn page, I saw that um, you worked um, directly in mechanical engineering for a while, working on everything from Black Black Hawk Navy helicopters to cell phone components.
0: Yeah, I mean... Right. So, you know, throughout my college career and even once I graduated, I I worked at a a number of um, you know, highly respectable engineering companies and I really think that really helped me hone my interest. Um uh, after graduating from college, I worked at BAE Systems, which is an aerospace company. Um, and we made flight control systems for both military and commercial aircraft. So everything from like you said, like Black Hawk helicopters and made the control systems for that. And I had the pleasure of going to different different naval bases um, and got to get inside of some of these Black Hawk helicopters um, to do like fit checks on some of the equipment that we were designing.
1: All okay, right. So you get to see the real practical application of the things that you were working on.
0: Yeah, so it was actually pretty cool. Um, but one thing that I will say about designing um, things for like the government or the defense Sector is that you kind of design them, you build them, and then you ship them away, and then you never really see them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, although the design part is really cool, um, I, I kind of like the aspects of design for consumer products a lot better. And that was, and that kind of which led me to my next um, my next career at Motorola, where we were designing cell phones. And so I joined Motorola in the heyday when the Razor One was first coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was a pretty cool time to be at Motorola. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think the Razor phone definitely helped transform the, the cell phone market.
1: Oh, definitely. Um,
0: yeah, it was a pretty cool time. But then I, I was at Motorola for almost six years and got to work on some really cool projects. You know, got to really travel the world to all of our suppliers. I um, really got to understand, like, how a product goes from conception to, um an actual completion, and and how short that time period is, and um, and all the different aspects of engineering that have to come together to make it a success.
1: Yeah. So um, I have a long history of going to school in the humanities, so I don't really um, know <laughs> how a more scientific STEM-based career works. But do you feel like your education for in mechanical engineering, like really? practically like prepared you for the work that you would be doing or once you were on the job did you have to kind of figure out how all of that um went together
0: so i mean for me i would say that school and my education and engineering you know taught me how to become a problem solver taught me how to really think critically and how to really dissect the large-scale problem into smaller bits and make it more um, easier to solve. Um, There are a lot of, you know, aspects of what I learned in college that I did carry over to my professional life. Um, But I think the biggest thing that engineering school taught me was really how to think and how to be a problem solver.
1: You mentioned that you preferred uh, working on the consumer products. Is there one... um, project that you really enjoyed working on or maybe one that you um, found like the most challenging and like therefore like the most rewarding to get finished?
0: Yeah, I mean, so there are a couple of reasons I like, I said, I like consumer. One thing is because we would design a product and then it would be in the hands of a million people, you know, around the world. And so, you know, I would go in an AT&T store or something and see some of my phones that I've worked on. And then the guy there is trying to, Tell me about these <laughs> products. Tell me, you know, and I'm like, dude, I created this project. Yeah. This product. And so they're like, huh, really? I was like, yeah. You know, but I guess it kind of took them by surprise. Um, but as far as like my favorite project, I would say one of the most challenging ones for me was a Pebble phone that I worked on. And so for and the Pebble phone was kind of like an oval shaped phone and it had a sliding hinge. And then it would, the phone would automatically flip up. Um, but this phone caused so many headaches for for my team and I. Um, you know, it wasn't passing a lot of the, the drop tests that we would um put it through or the hinge wouldn't stay closed to the degree that we needed to. So it took a lot of work and pushing of our suppliers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of constant trips out to China dealing with our 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 manufacturers and our teams out there. Um, but you know, I think what this really taught me was is that um, you know, through I guess hard work and resiliency, and and putting all of our collective minds together, we were able to come up with a solution um, that worked, and really made that phone a, a huge success for the company. Um, I, I still actually have it's one of my favorite phones. I have a box of all of my old phones, <laughs> that I um, but it's definitely one of the ones that I cherish the most, just because you know I I know what it took to actually get this phone to work. Yeah. Um, and how myself and my team really came together to overcome the challenges that we that we had in designing. it.
1: Yeah, it's funny how sometimes your hardest projects end up becoming your favorite. Um, just for my own curiosity, you mentioned um, being surprised how quickly a phone like that can go to market. About how long does it take from like conception to market for a, a phone to get? You know,
0: about 10 months or so. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, <laughs> that so is quick. Pretty um and so, you know, it, it requires a, a lot of work from all of the different teams, from mechanical engineering to electrical, to the software developers, to the, you know, the sourcing people who are working with all of our suppliers to get them ramped up and okay. ready to produce. You know, we may be launching and need a, you know, a million units at launch or something like that. And so, you know, we have to get all of our suppliers lined up and and uh, qualified to be able to produce on a large scale like that. So it definitely taught me a lot about just the whole engineering and manufacturing process and what it takes to, you know, to create a quality product.
1: Yeah. I can only imagine the number of, um, you know, individual components that have to get lined up to so quickly get something like that to market.
0: Yeah. It so, was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Were you um, at Motorola at the time that you decided to sort of um, switch focus and start projects in Sierra?
0: Um, Yeah, I was. And so I was, you know, I had been working as a professional engineer for about I think like nine, almost 10 years. And in all of these, in all of these different positions that I held, I was typically the only uh, minority on my team. Um, And it just didn't sit well with me. I know that there are, you know, a ton of other students who were smart and, you know, could be successful engineers. Um, But one thing that even I liked in my life was more, more mentors and and access to programs, which really pushed young people to, you know, careers in the technical field. Talking to a lot of my friends who are also um, engineers, like they didn't have really access. Maybe their parents were engineers or they had a teacher that told them about engineering, but it really, you know, engineering or STEM at the time really wasn't that popular. Um, and so, you know, I started designing a plan to, you know, what Project Sincere could be Um, I started recruiting a couple of friends to kind of join me um, in these efforts. And we, you know, we kind of jumped out on faith and, you know, created Project Sincere and wanted to see um, if this program model would be successful. You know, would schools um, support our efforts? How would the students respond? And then what would the impact be um, to the young people that we were able to touch? Um, And so, you know, after the first year, we learned a lot. Um, but we well, one thing that we did see after we first launched project sincere was that um you know if if not anything, the students um really gravitated towards us, you know serving as their mentors and their instructors um and really listening to the guidance that we tried to provide to them it i mean it was it definitely you know changed my focus in life and 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 helped me realize that. You know, I could definitely impact a lot of kids' lives if this is something that I really dedicated myself to.
1: Yeah. So, why don't we take a step back now and explain to the listeners um, what exactly Project Sincere is and what your programming does?
0: Yeah. So, Project Sincere is a Chicago nonprofit whose mission is to enhance the minds and create pathways for underrepresented students to career to pursue careers in the STEM fields. Um, you know, we launched in two thousand and eight with the goal to we have to provide young people with, you know, opportunities to not only become engaged and and excited about careers in the STEM fields, but to really provide them with the experience and opportunities that they need to build their skills, to build their confidence and put them on a pathway to go to college for future success in these fields. Um, you know, over the last eleven years we've we've grown Project Sincere to be the largest STEM organization in Chicago. Um Right now, we serve about 3,500 kids a year um, through our um, through one of our program models, either our Empowered or our E-Academy program. Um, and our Empowered program really serves as an introduction to young people to the engineering field. Oftentimes, it's their first time um, participating in the engineering um, program. Um, but it's really meant to inspire and engage young people um, through a hands on engineering projects and really become a pipeline for them to join some of our more advanced and robust programs that we do in our academy program model.
1: Yeah. When I was looking at your website, um, I saw a couple of statistics that really stuck with me that I'd just like to add here. It says that um, 12.5 per, or less than 12.5% of engineering bachelor degrees are awarded to underrepresented minorities. And then only 10% of elementary school students regularly engage in hands-on science. Um, only uh, 11% of the STEM workforce is um, underrepresented minorities and women are only make up 24% of the STEM workforce. So um, obviously, Project Sincere is really getting right to the root of getting more underrepresented minorities into STEM, which I think is um, definitely needed and absolutely um, incredible that you all are doing this. Earlier, you mentioned um, that you when you were growing up, had been able to do programming at um, school at the Museum of Science and Industry. Is that part of what um, inspired you to um, to start projects in and give kids that same sort of hands-on experience?
0: It, it, yeah, I think I think my participation in the science club at the Museum of Science and Industry was definitely an inspiration. Um, I know that I know how from that experience I was, you know, at a young age. I was able to become really excited um, about science. You know, I think it helped transform, um, you know, me as a young adult. And you know, it's all about the hands-on experiences that I was able to have. Um, you know, through my museum experience. But the problem was is that there aren't enough programs like that. Like the museums still exist to this day, and they serve you know maybe hundred, maybe two hundred kids. Mm-hmm. You know, a year. Um, but there are thousands of kids in Chicago who desperately need opportunities like that. Um, you know, if, if, if as an industry, if we're really serious about um, creating more diversity in these fields, it has to start with kids at an early age. You know, I've talked to a lot of companies and there are a lot of efforts right now to make Chicago, uh, you know, a, a hotspot for technology jobs. You know, all of these companies want to be able to retain talent here in Chicago. But my question to them is always, you know, how do we create a pipeline of young people of diverse talent, you know, for these future jobs? And it starts, you know, in elementary school for young people. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really hard to get high school kids um, really prepared to go study engineering at the collegiate level if they don't already have a strong background in math and science. Like, there's just certain things that young people need to have a strong foundation in to be successful in these fields. And so that's why we really spend, you know, most of our time working with students at the elementary school, because we understand how important that strong foundation is um, in order for them to have success in this later in life. Um, you know, so, so yes, the museum, you know, is definitely an inspiration, um, but we know that it's going to take a really a collective effort of so many organizations like the museum, like Project Sincere, um, and many other STEM organizations here in Chicago really help drive this home um, for the city.
1: Yeah. And so how are you, is project, since you're able to interact with these students, do you all um, work with the schools directly or are they coming to you?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we do a little bit of both. Um, our Empower program works in collaboration with uh, Chicago Public Schools. We work with city colleges. We work with UIC and we work with a lot of other community based organizations to kind of bring Scott, STEM mm-hmm. content to their location.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and once again, the Empower program is our largest program where we serve in that program probably about, well, about 3,200 kids a year. Wow. Um, but a lot of it is through partnerships with CPS. You know, our CPS partnerships are the strongest. Mm-hmm. Um, we work with about in a given year between 30 or 40 schools um, to implement our Empower program. Um, and one of the cool things that we did with Empower this year was we launched, well, not this year, but about this is, we're going into our fourth year now. We launched a program called the Empower Games, Mm -hmm. which is a citywide engineering competition for middle school students. And so for that one, we, you know, we get corporate support and we also just recently got a Department of Ed grant to support this initiative. But we go into about 20 schools um, in the spring semester to implement a 10-week engineering program. And then um, about 25 to 30 students at each school participate in the program. And then the conclusion Um, of the 10 weeks, all of the students come together to compete in a day-long engineering competition that we host at the Winch Arena. You know, so this is a great initiative that engages over 500 kids. Um, It brings about 100 of our corporate partners. um, We're volunteers from our corporate partners together. Um, But the students are really able to see that there are a ton of other students who look like them, who are also excited and engaged around engineering, um, to really showcase the skills that they've developed with us over the prior 10 weeks. I mean, it's really become a, a, an amazing event that unfortunately was canceled this past year because of COVID. Um, but, you know, we're really excited about the opportunities and the possibilities that, that this competition brings to students all over the city.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's very empowering for young kids to not only see other people um, their age that are equally as invested in a STEM field, but also to have, uh, you know, the greater support that an event like that. Um, Can showcase for them. What exactly does an engineering competition entail?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So each year for us is different, right? So we've kind of switched up the focus each year. Um, The first year, the engineering um, competition focused on electrical engineering. And so the 10 weeks that we were in the school, we taught students about different electrical engineering principles. Um, But at the competition, the students were actually given a box of materials and they had to design a water level detection device and so we gave them like a cup and then when the water in the cup reached a certain level a light had to go off and so they had to come up with a system um to detect you know when the water reached that certain level and so you know we we taught them all the skills that they needed to know but they didn't know what the competition was until they actually got there in the morning um and so they had to use all of the engineering knowledge and skills that they acquired to actually build that circuit. Um, and then the second half of the day for that for that year was for them to. Um, we gave them some um, some schematic uh, some sc- schematic designs of different circuits that they had to build, and then they actually had to build and wire up and program the different circuits. I mean, so you know, the students they worked in teams to do this. And they actually, you know, succeeded at it and did pretty good. Um, the competition two years ago, um, the students learned about mechanical engineering and about um, different gear ratios and motors and things like that. And then they had to design. Um, it was two races, so it was like a tractor pull competition. And so the students had to design a car to one get down the, the drag strip the fastest. Uh, But then the second competition was for them to um, design a car or a tractor that could pull the most weight. And so they had to, you know, learn about the different gears, understand which one would provide greater torque um, to that car, and then implement it in their designs. And so that was a pretty cool competition also. Yeah,
1: I am very impressed by these kids. Uh, It sounds You're not not only introducing them to engineering, but it sounds like teaching them... um, at a much more advanced level than I would have ever imagined possible. Um, But, you know, as I said, that's really not my field at all. (laughs) um, So obviously there's a big change between sort of running a STEM outreach (laughs) um, nonprofit to, um, you know, working in mechanical engineering. What was it like for you trying to juggle just like starting – a new, um, foundation, starting projects in Sierra like that.
0: But that was pretty challenging. Um, you know, going from just being an engineer to now running a business are definitely, um, two different things that require a lot of different skills, um, that I would say was not easy at the beginning. Um, definitely a lot of learning on the job. Um, but I've also participated in a bunch of, Programs and, and fellowships that definitely they helped me gain the skills that I've needed. Um, like, I, if you look at my resume, you probably see also all of the different.
1: Yes, I saw, I was very impressed. I saw, you know, there's Stanford, I saw that we were actually. At Chicago, at the same time, um, you have UCLA School of Management, a Stanford nonprofit leadership program, <laughs> um, and now you're also an Eisenhower fellow, which I'd also like to talk about. So I know you're a very busy, <laughs> qualified man, but I mean, learning on the job like that to start a nonprofit is, um, I'm sure that was a hectic time period.
0: <laughs> it's definitely hectic. And I think that, you know, starting this nonprofit definitely taught me a lot about myself also, Um, you know, initially trying to get started, you know, we didn't have any funding we invested all of our own money to get us started and to kind of get things off the ground. Um, But it definitely, you know, taught me about who I am, how I refuse to fail, about how resilient, um, you know, I am also, Um, you know, a lot of people doubt you initially and will say, this isn't going to work or like, why are you doing this? But, you know, in my heart, I knew that this was the right thing. And I knew that, you know, if we really dedicated ourselves to this, that we would be successful. And, you know, looking at it eleven years later, I, I definitely surpassed my initial thoughts about what I thought Project Sincere would be. Um, and I definitely now know that the sky is the limit. You know, we have a lot of things that we have planned for Project Sincere in the next few years. Um, and I'm I'm really excited about making those you know, those um, initial plans and dreams a, a reality for the organization and, and the, the young people here in the city.
1: Yeah, I saw, I noticed that um, to date, Project Sinceros had over 20,000 students go through um, your programming and it looked like upwards of 93% of graduating seniors have gone into STEM-related fields. So um, I'm sure that's kind of similar to a consumer product is now you get to see um, these kids like physically go out into the field and you're getting like real-time feedback on uh, the work that Project Sincere is doing.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And I, I still talk to a lot of our students. So some of the students that I became close with um, You know, when I was a teacher, or you know, just early on in the Project Sincere days, you know, they're they're about to graduate from college, or they have graduated from college. You know, they're working as engineers. Some of them have come back, and although they're engineer at a, at a corporation Monday through Friday, some of them come back and work with us on Saturdays to teach some of our younger people. So it's definitely amazing to kind of see some of these young people go full cycle. You know, and and, and actually know that they, you know, the, the the kind of the good things that they have received in Project Sincere, Project Sincere when they were young, they're now paying it forward to the future generation. So I'm super excited about that.
1: Yeah, I think that can be like the most um, tangible evidence that what you're doing is really worthwhile it is that the people that were previously in the program um, valued it so much that now they're coming back to work for it as well. So in working with all these students, was there anything About working with the students and teaching them STEM that surprised you when working with them?
0: Um, I would say just how creative students are. Um, You know, definitely, I'm not teaching anymore. Those days are long (laughs) past me. Um, But I still like to visit the classrooms and just talk to the students, specifically a lot of our students in our Saturday and summer programs. Um, You know, we really challenge those students to think out of the box and create some solutions to, you know, different problems that we may present to them. And some of the solutions that they come up with are pretty damn amazing. And, you know, stuff that I wouldn't even thought of, like, like they thought of what? Like, but, you know, I mean, young people, I would say don't always limit, um, you know, their, their, their thoughts as much as you do when you get older. So, you know, their wildest creations, they actually make a reality. Um, And so I would just say that our our young people are definitely um, very talented and have definitely dreams and ambitions and they're they're making it happen.
1: Um, And you mentioned earlier that, you know, unfortunately, this year um, the competition had to be canceled because, you know, most things have been canceled this year. But what Mm -hmm. else um, has anything else had to shift for you? Has it been easier for you since you're already sort of in? the technology field to shift um, the way you're thinking about your programming?
0: Yes and no. Um, You know, a lot of the stuff that we do is hands on for young people. And so to now have to transition to everything being virtual has made us kind of switch up, you know, not only how we deliver our programs, but the types of programs that we can deliver to our students. Um, so right now, all, everything is 100% virtual. We have made that happen. Um, but, you know, a lot of the students that we serve also don't have access to the technology or the, the Wi-Fi like they may need um, to do the proper programming. Um, so that has become a challenge. But, you know, although last year's competition was canceled, we're, we are, we're moving forward with this year's competition, but it's going to be virtual. And so, you know, the, the instruction is going to be delivered virtually, but now we're really having to think outside the box on what a virtual competition, specifically an engineering competition, looks like. Um, and so, you know, there are a couple of different platforms that are out there for us to um, allow the students to still do some pretty cool engineering work. Uh, but we just, we're still working out the kinks about what that looks like um, in a competition and how the students will present their their designs, you know, how they're going to be judged and critiqued and things like that. So um, it's not easy, but we are managing through it at this time.
1: Right? Yeah, it's um, definitely um, a struggle for everyone, but I'm glad that you're able to still um, get some of your work out there. Um, so just a bit ago, you mentioned that there's a lot uh, more coming for Project Sincere. Could you um, give us a little sneak peek about how you see Project Sincere moving forward?
0: Sure. I mean, so one of the things that we've been doing in Project Sincere is really, um, you know, we've been a citywide organization. So we really serve students and communities all throughout Chicago. Um, And we want to change up a little bit. So we still want to be able to provide stuff to the city, but I really, really want to be more location based a little bit. And and I say that because I really want to start and, engineering or STEM learning center um, for the city of Chicago. Um, I want to have a location that's really dedicated to educating young people around engineering and technology, um, but having a space that also supports that. So allowing, you know, students to be able to manufacture a lot of the things that they're creating, um, have a, a, a center that serves, you know, students in both elementary school and high school around that community. Um, But having students also know that there's a place in Chicago where they can really come um, to really grow and scaffold their their skills and everything engineering and technology related. And there just isn't a place like that in Chicago. And so our goal over the next three years is to to build out and design a engineering hub. Um, I don't see it. Uh, and, and I say a hub for the city, but knowing that how Chicago works, we're probably going to need multiple of these hubs to truly serve all the students in the city, but starting with one you know and and really being able to evaluate its impact on its on its community on its surrounding communities um and really work with our corporate partners in the city to to kind of scale that up so that young people all over the city have access to the programs that they need to really be successful in these fields
1: yeah um are you do you know is this um, like do other cities have a similar thing or are you actually sort of embarking on um, an entirely new venture here? Is there anyone you can model your um, goals on?
0: So you know what I haven't really seen this model in the us anywhere, um, but through my Eisenhower fellowship, as we talked about you know previously. You know, I was recently um, in Australia and New Zealand kind of looking at some of their um, STEM efforts. And when I was in Melbourne, Australia, I came across a model like this um, that worked with, it was it was run through some of the like community colleges there, but they had these hubs that worked with the, the middle schools and the high schools around in the area. And they provided all of the STEM content um, to those schools. And so instead of the schools, trying to, you know, find the instructors and and provide those types of programs to the students, which has been pretty hard in most cities in the U.S., you know, they outsourced it to these universities. Um, and then they were the ones that really, you know, had the, the staff that, with the knowledge and the skills and the programming to really push STEM towards the young people. And so, and that was working really well in Melbourne. And so I would love to try to create something similar to that here in Chicago.
1: Great. So, what I'm hearing is that you're creating not only the first STEM education hub in Chicago, but in the country.
0: I'm not right, don't quote me. Um, you know, I haven't seen anything like this. I just, I just don't know anything like this. I need to do some more research, but that would be awesome if we do create the first one in the country yet. Yeah.
1: So, just a little bit more about your um, Eisenhower Fellowship. Is this something that came? By as something in connection with Project Sincere or how do you get involved with that?
0: So Eisenhower Fellows are all about finding young leaders who are passionate about making the world a better place. Um, You know, one of my good friends and also my board chair was an Eisenhower Fellow two years before me and she told me about the amazing experiences that she had in the fellowship and she really recommended that I apply also. So I took her advice. And I applied and I was accepted. And so, you know, they really, they really want to find young leaders, like I say who are passionate about changing the world. But they allow you to design a project, of something that you're really passionate about, that would make the world better, and then allow you to go and do international research for up to eight weeks, I think it's eight weeks, to really better understand your project. And so for my time, I spent about four weeks in Rwanda, and I spent about another three and a half weeks in Australia and New Zealand. And I went there to really investigate um, how these different countries are developing young people in the STEM fields. Um, you know what that looks like from a societal standpoint, um, and, and understanding like how the different access to wealth and 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 technology impacts these different countries' ability to do this. Um, And I learned a lot. And so I've I've learned a lot from from that trip. Um, And I'm trying to take some of those best practices that I was able to learn through my fellowship and implement them into the work that we're doing here at Project Sincere.
1: Yeah, it definitely sounds like you've got some good ideas. I can't wait to see what's coming for Project Sincere in the future. Um, If other people would like to get involved with Project Sincere, how can they help?
0: Um, they can help in a lot of different ways, but I would say at first by reaching out to us, um, either at www.projectsincere.org, that's um, or, you know, giving us a call. I mean, I would love to talk to somebody about their interest, um, where they feel that they could, um, help the most, you know, if it's the, if it's the corporation, um, that wants to volunteer their time for the organization, that would be awesome, you know, if they want to help fund some of the young people in our programs and help us expand the work that we do to additional students, you know, that would be awesome as well. But we also have a huge need for technology. And so, you know, if there's a company or somebody out there that wants to help um, donate or help us acquire additional technology for our young people, um, that would be awesome as well.
1: Yeah. And I would just like to, you know, remind all of our listeners that an investment in young people is, you know, an investment in our future as well. So
0: <laughs> yes, I agree.
1: Um, we're about to wrap up here, and I have just a couple questions that I sort of always ask our guests um, in conclusion. But is there any, you know, final point about Project Sincere that I missed or that you wanted to um, get out there?
0: Um, you know what, I really like that quote that you said about investment in our cases, investment in the future, um, and that's really just what we believe in at Project Sincere. Also, I mean we. You know, really try to help inspire more young people to believe in themselves and know that they can help make a change, you know, in their lives, but also in their community. You know, engineering impacts everything that we do. And we just want to help young people, you know, realize that, you know, engineering is a tool that can help change our future and our way of life.
1: Great. Yeah. So my next question is usually, um, you know, if there was a young person about to enter into the field, you know, maybe a STEM field, what advice would you give them? You maybe just gave them some advice, but is there any additional uh, wisdom that you would impart to them?
0: Sure. I mean, so STEM is a very broad field. So I would I would say to a young person who's interested in STEM to participate in as many programs as you can. Um, you know, figure out what really interests you and what your passions are. And then once you, you know, you, you feel excited about one of those specific aspects of STEM, you know, definitely follow your passion, man, try out as many programs, stick with it and continue to learn. You know, learning can definitely happen at one of these programs, but it can also happen at home on your own. Also, there are a ton of things online for you to engage in to really continue to develop your knowledge and interest in these different fields.
1: Great. And so our final question is um, because this is Bridging Chicago and we like to talk a little bit about Chicago. Usually I ask what everyone's favorite thing to do in Chicago is, but I know that's a little limited right now. So maybe what are you most looking forward to um, doing once we're able to fully experience Chicago again?
0: You know, my true passions and love for Chicago is definitely I think, the lakefront. I've never lived anywhere that doesn't have water. And I definitely need water uh, in order for me to become excited about a place. And so, you know, I just, well, for one, I needed to get a little bit warmer for me to go back up on the lake. Um, but I really like riding my bike along the lakefront, you know, from the south side all the way up to Evanston. Um, it's kind of like where my mind just kind of goes free. Um, I just love looking at the water and the waves and the coastline. Um because to me, that is Chicago.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. My favorite thing to do is to uh, be on the lakefront and to I love to drive around along Lake Shore and see the skyline and also just the lake is a nice, calming presence.
0: <laughs> definitely
1: so, Jason, I think that about concludes our episode today. I just want to thank you again for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversation and um, I can't wait to see uh, what projects in Sierra does in the future.
0: I appreciate it. Savannah. It's been a pleasure being on the show today.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center.